Well, I'm excited to begin a new year with you guys. I'm heading into my 20th year here as your pastor at Grace Fellowship. And I'm just as excited today as I was 19 years ago when I stepped up to a little black music stand in Turkeyfoot Middle School on January 14th, 1996 and looked out at about 100 people. But I really do believe our best days are yet ahead, yet ahead. God has done some amazing things. I am so grateful. He's done exceedingly abundantly beyond all that I could have asked or thought. And I want you to know, I love growing older with you. I love lifting up Christ together. I love reaching out to lost people in our community together. Some of you have been doing that together with me for almost two decades now. Imagine that. I lost all my hair here with you. I gained 20 pounds over the last two decades right here with you. And Vicky and I together raised our five kids together with you. And right here... In these 19 years is where I've seen the biggest answers to prayer I've ever seen in my entire life. And yet I believe the best days are still yet ahead. Because here's why. The darker the culture gets, the further away the culture moves from truth and God and light and good, the more opportunities there are for us to be salt and light. It's going to stand out. It's going to stand out. So there are great opportunities. There's a great days to be a Christian and they're great days to be a church family together. So in the next three Sundays, Peter and I want to share with you where we are as a church, who we are as a church, and the kind of commitment that I believe every single one of us is going to have to make and re-up if you've already got it. Many of you are committed this way, but re-up if we want to see God keep on using us to reach people for Christ. And I do. I don't want to just play church. I don't want to go through the motions. I, just want, I don't want to just pet punch my pastor time card for another 15 years. I really, want to see, I really want to see God use us to make an impact. I want us to be as effective as possible. If you're wondering, why do we do these kind of messages where we review big rocks and mission and vision? And why do we need that? Here's why we need it if you struggle at all. There's a difference between being efficient and effective. Efficiency... If you have enough money and enough PNG types running around, you can be efficient. It can look good. It can be slick. You just might not be doing the right things. There's a difference between efficiency and effectiveness. To be effective, you've got to make sure you're doing the right things. And you've got to make sure everyone is on the same page doing those right things. And the biggest challenge for any church, listen to me, is not to get on the same page. The biggest challenge is to stay on the same page year after year after year because of mission creep and vision leak mission creeps off in other directions it shifts it drifts and you have to come back vision leaks you can put a vision before people and get everybody excited not one year later one week later sometimes it's gone because we all have a hole in the bottom of our vision bucket you can get excited and then real life hits you in the face and you forget all about what you're excited about regarding your church and god's kingdom and jesus christ and the gospel so you have to take the mission and bump it back onto center again and you got to take the vision and refill buckets the buckets of people's heart of vision so that's what we want to do as we start a new year because we've been standing on some core values that we call big rocks And we've been focused on a mission that we call our three G's. Pastor Peter's going to unpack that some more next week in more detail. But let me just thump it. Our big rocks are the Bible. I mean, this is our authority. The Bible. Grace, not legalism. Missions. We go. We don't stay huddled up. We go. It pushes us to go. God. I mean, Bible. Grace. Missions. 
Equipping every believer. That's different. Every church doesn't think that way. But one of our big rocks is to equip you to do ministry. Equipping every believer. Prayer. We believe we've got to pray and call on God. We're not just going to do this with slick brochures and programs and staffing. Prayer. Small group. We believe people change best at close range with other believers. God-focused worship. Not entertainment. Not entertainment. That's why we, we don't, I'm not saying you can't do a choir. I'm not saying you can't do solos. But it's intentional. We don't think it's worth the time that's put into all that for you to sit and watch somebody. We want you to sing to God. And notice, we carefully screen our songs. We want good songs that move us to sing to God about how great he is. So there's a lot of great songs that have a great tune. And we look at the words, we're like, eh. God-focused worship. Not entertainment-driven worship. And sovereignty of God. It's one of our big rocks. That God is sovereign over everything. And so that's the foundation that we stand on. And that causes us to use that foundation to decide what we're going to do and not do. So there's the foundation. But there's a mission we have that keeps us moving forward instead of stagnant and comfortable. There's a mission that keeps us growing and changing and going. And that's what we lovingly call the three G's. Three G's. Gathering together in truth to worship God. Here we are. Growing together by grace to become more like Christ. We want to become more like Christ. That's how we know when we're growing. Going together with the gospel to the tri-state and the world. Peter's going to talk about this some more next week. But what I want to do is I want to put before you a vision that I just whet your appetite back in late August when I came back from sabbatical. And today I want to put it before you in more detail. A vision that the elders and I together believe that God would be pleased to use to stir us to pick up the pace and to increase the level of risk that you're willing to take for Jesus and for lost people. And here it is. It's printed on your card. If you want to keep this, and I hope you would, in your Bible or on your refrigerator or or, or in your prayer chair or a place that you can keep looking at it this year. It's on the front of the bulletin, but this is heavy stock. It might last a little longer. Here's the vision. That God would raise up a generation of Christians who have the courage to stand the confidence to speak up, the heart to sacrifice. Why? Because of the truth of God's word, because of the mission of God's church, and because of the mercy of God's son, Jesus Christ. So let me unpack that a little more for you. It doesn't matter what Pastor Brad writes as a vision and the elders agree and I put it before you. Let me show you why I think this comes from the Bible. And I really do believe it's through reading my Bible that God has lit a flame in me and stirred me along these lines to share it with you and to excite you. It's from the scriptures. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and I want you to see the courage to stand. When you read your Bible... You see this word, stand, 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 stand. We're supposed to stand. We're not supposed to run. We're not supposed to backpedal. We're not supposed to compromise. We're not supposed to be intimidated down into silence. We're supposed to stand. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at the courage to stand in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Now I want you to watch. You're going to see this word stand four times as if, all right already, Paul, I get it. It's very repetitive. I think it's because he knows, inspired by the Holy Spirit, our tendency is to not stand. It's to retreat. It's to be intimidated. It's to cower. So watch it. Therefore, 
Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And here's our struggle. Our struggle is not a political struggle between Democrats and Republicans and, and independents. That's not the big struggle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's the real battle. That's what we're up against. And so legislation's never going to solve that. Look what he tells us to do in light of that. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Now look at me a minute. When the day of evil comes, I hope you don't think, yeah, when all that revelation, book of revelation starts, stuff, monsters and all kind of, boy, it'll be time to stand. When the day of evil comes, when is that? Thank you. Now. We're in it, folks. We're in the, it's going to get more evil, but it's now. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And you say, but I'm not that kind of person. I'm pretty scared. I'm pretty intimidated right now. It's gotten harder in the job to even talk about Jesus. How am I going to do this? Glad you asked. He tells us, look. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now look at me a minute. If you grew up in church, you might know this passage. And you might have seen an illustration or flannel graph or something with a, with a Roman soldier. And then she, he or she stuck the little belt on. And then stuck the breastplate or stuck the helmet on. And I've, I've read books that talk this way and heard people teach this way. That Christians ought to get up in the morning and, and, and literally say, I'm putting on the belt of truth. I got my, and pretend you're putting all that on. Garbage. You can do that and watch Good Morning America and suck down a cup of coffee and go out and get blown away. It's not stand there and pretend you just put some armor on. All of that armor is tied to this book. How do you put on the belt of truth? You don't pretend you just snapped a belt of truth on. You read it. Here's the belt of truth. How do you get the breastplate of righteousness in place? You read Romans and Philippians 3 and Galatians that tells you, you got the righteousness of God. You don't have to keep trying to earn his favor and achieve his favor. He's given it to you. You're adopted. You can focus on mission. You don't have to keep saying, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? You're not good enough, but Jesus is. The breastplate of righteousness stays in place as you read God's word and see what he's done for you. Your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. You get the gospel here. Helmet of salvation. I'm reminded that he saved me. Shield of faith. Don't just pretend you took one up. Please. Faith comes by. And hearing by the. You want to pick up the shield of faith? You better pick up your Bible and read it. This is the shield of faith. You read it and it feeds your faith. And you're able to pick up the shield of faith. And extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. It all comes back. To this. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, so there's a whole bunch of Bible, and notice where he heads next. 
and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, knowing that there's a war, knowing there's dark powers and rulers and spiritual forces of evil in this battle, knowing this with this in mind, be alert, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel of which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The New King James says boldly twice. Fearlessly, boldly. Stand, stand, stand. Fearlessly, boldly. Four times he says stand. Two times he says fearlessly, or boldly. There's a truckload of courage, courage tucked into those verses. But it's not going to happen in your life. I hope you heard it. It's not going to happen in your life apart from the Bible and prayer. You say, oh, Brad, is that all you got? I was excited about this vision. And when times get really hard, it's time to get back to the basics. And these are the days of coming back to the basics. The basics. The basics. It's Bible and prayer. It's reading your Bible and praying. It's getting up early and reading your Bible and being unhurried in prayer and saying, spending time enjoying God, enjoying your Savior, and also saying, help me today to live for you. Help me with that difficult relationship. Help me with that project. Help me, help me, help me. You read his word. You get the truth. You're reminded of your breastplate. You've got the shield of faith going up because it's being fed. You got the sword of the spirit and you pray, God, use me, help me, go with me. It's Bible and prayer. Bible and prayer. That'll help you to be fearless. That'll help you to stand. Let me show you the confidence to speak up. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Confidence to speak up. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed. Now look at me a minute. The word disturbed right there in the Greek. So Christians are speaking and all of a sudden the leaders come and they are disturbed. The word disturbed means offended, indignant, greatly annoyed. Offended, indignant, greatly annoyed. Does that sound like today? Do you feel like there's times, lots of times the culture and the people around us, they're offended. They're telling us they're offended. Who do you think you are speaking of Jesus, offering the gospel, saying there's only one way, saying Jesus is it? Who are? They're offended, they're annoyed, and many times they're indignant, indignant, indignant. Good news. That's not just our day. It's always been this way. They were greatly disturbed. But notice, when they were disturbed, the people were disturbed because they were speaking. Speaking about Jesus. They weren't disturbed that they were feeding the hungry. They weren't disturbed that they were doing kind acts. They weren't disturbed that they were living in a kind way in the community. It's when they spoke. It's when they spoke and said, Jesus, it's Jesus. Look, verse 2 being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4 however, Look at me. Be encouraged despite the offense, the indignation 
and greatly annoyed, there will always be a however. Look at this good news. Verse four, however, many of those who heard, not many of those that saw their kindness, many of those that heard what? The word did what? Believed. God will save people through us speaking the word, the good news, Jesus. He's going to do this. God is going to do this. There are going to be people ticked off. There's going to be people mad. There's going to be people that mock. There's going to be people indignant. There's going to be people annoyed. There's going to be people that marginalize you. It's all going to happen. Get ready. But here's what else is going to happen. Someone's going to come back over to you and say, tell me more about that. Someone's going to come to your desk or come by the house and say, I know you're a Christian. You've talked about this before at the neighborhood cookout. Here's what I'm going through now. Tell me more. However, however, many believed. Many of those who heard the word believed. Verse 5, and it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power? Or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means he's been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This is really bold. This is really bold. He didn't, he didn't tone it down. Let me tell you, it's Jesus, not just God, not just a, a faith. Kind of, people like to talk about God or the faith or spirituality or religion. He talked about Jesus and he said, the same Jesus whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They talked about Jesus. The world will tolerate you talking in general about God. The world will turn a blind eye to you praying in general to a God that maybe could be the God of the Muslims, the God of the Jews, the God of Christianity. But when you end your prayer in Jesus name, someone's going to call you to their office. When you pray in Jesus name, someone's going to be offended. When I led a service here for Calm Air Pilots and this place was packed and I said, Jesus is the only way. I got called into my office by the head of the Calm Air and said the family was very offended. Very offended by what you did. But I did it because a Lutheran pastor lady had already said nonsense. And I could not sit there and not tell the truth. She'd already gone on and on about how this dead guy was in heaven because he was baptized as a baby. I had to say, I didn't say he's not. I just ignored that whole comment and said, your only hope is Jesus Christ. I did say baptism doesn't save you. And they were offended. But I hope there were 850 people who heard truth that could have gone all the way to hell thinking, good, I've been baptized as a baby also, so I guess I'm okay too. No, you're not. No, you're not. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only hope, the only way. Now look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, oh, get this, it should encourage all of us. They were so smart, brilliant off the chart. 
Yale and Harvard and seminary and Bible college graduates. That's why they had this boldness. Saw that they were, say it, uneducated and untrained. They marveled. And here's what was going on. And they knew that they had been with who? Say it again. Now let's not leave that fuzzy. How do you spend time with Jesus? Oh, we're back to it again. Right here, you read your Bible. I spend time with Jesus by reading my Bible. I learn about Jesus. I delight in Jesus. I listen to Jesus. I follow Jesus. I track with Jesus. It really just keeps coming back to this. How do I feed my faith to lift up the shield of faith? I got to read my Bible. Faith comes by hearing. How do I get the belt of truth in place? I got to read my Bible. How am I going to stand? How am I going to be bold? You've got to read your Bible is how I spend time with Jesus. They knew that they'd been with Jesus. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But, but when they had commanded them to go outside the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But, very interesting. You see what's going on there? And we cannot deny it. Next verse, but, look at me. That's still the way it is today, right? We, we, we try to get better and better, and I'm thankful for answers in Genesis and apologetics and books that are written to, to give credible answers to some of their, yeah, what about, what about, what about? News alert, you can answer every single what about, and they'll still say, but, unless the Holy Spirit breaks through. We're not gonna argue anyone into the kingdom. It says, we cannot deny this. But we still don't want to believe it. And we're still going to try to shut it down. The answer will not be that we just get better and better and better and better about backing them into the corner and show that we have answers to all their objections. So therefore, fall on your knees and repent. The heart is hard. It's lights out spiritually unless God gets a hold of any man or woman. Don't hear me saying don't give some answers. Be ready to give an answer to everyone. 1 Peter 3.15. Just know there's always so often going to be. They could not deny it. Say it. But. But. It's the same thing they were dealing with back then. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. Oh, it's so hard today. Read your Bible. It's always been hard. But. Verse 17, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak no more to anyone in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right to listen to you, yeah, whether it's right to listen to you or to God, you judge. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. Verse 13 gives us a huge indication of how we're going to be bold. You got to spend time with Jesus. And now this verse ties to it as well. Verse 20, when you've been spending time with Jesus and you know him and you love him and he's real and you're in a relationship with him and you're delighting him, he's getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and he's been faithful to you and you've listened to him and you've learned from him and he's real. You cannot but speak the things you've seen and heard. What, in an omelet, in a cloud, on the side of a tree? Where did I see this? Hello! The Bible. 
what I'm seeing about Jesus, what I'm hearing from him, what I'm seeing about Jesus, what I'm hearing from him, what I'm seeing about Jesus. I spend time with Jesus. Yes, Jesus, but I spend time with Vicky. I date Vicky. I laugh with Vicky. I sit with Vicky. I walk around the block with Vicky. I call Vicky on the phone. Guess what happens? I talk about Vicky because I'm knowing her for 28 years. She's getting better and better and better and better and better. So I talk about her to someone on the plane next to me. I talk about her in the neighborhood. I talk about her in workshops when I talk, teach other places. I talk about her here. I would think you've picked up on, I really love her. What's going on? Out of the abundance of the heart, right? You spend time with Jesus. You delight in Jesus. You love Jesus. You will talk about him. It's not one of those things like, oh man, starting the year with a message about gotta be bold. Gotta, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Some of you, you don't know him. You don't know him well. You don't spend time with him. And so it's very hard to crank this up. When you spend time with him and you know him and you love him, you can't help but, we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. Verse 21, so when they had further threatened him, they let him go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since all the people glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said. And then he quotes Psalm 2. Why did the nations rage and all the people plot vain things and the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for truly against your holy servant, Jesus. Get this. See the word against three times there. People have always been against God, against Jesus, against your holy servant, Jesus. This is not a new day. And they understood the sovereignty of God. He's quoting Psalm 2. I believe the early church had the big rock of the sovereignty of God in place and understood he's sovereign. The nations can rage. People can be against God and against Jesus and it can't be stopped. He's going to build his church and we get to be a part of it. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel will gather together to do whatever your hand And your purpose determined when? Before to be done. God is sovereign. Now, Lord, verse 29, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to march you through it, but I want you to go back and look because I listed it in the, in the sermon outline. I want you to go back and in your Bible, because here's what I want us to practice. On December 28th, I poured out my heart about what, how you got to read your Bible and I gave you best ways to read it. So I want to practice some of that. I said, one of the things that will help you get more out of your Bible is read your Bible with your mind in gear and your hand in motion, marking stuff. There's a lot of good stuff to mark here. So let me give you some suggestions. Go back through these verses, 1 through 31, and mark every place you see the word speak, word, taught, preached. Get this. 
You'll find it eight times. Christianity, being a Christian, being a Christ follower is a word-oriented movement. It's always been words. The whole nonsense of the little pithy, the thing you hear said, that supposedly Francis Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Let me tell you what's necessary. Flush that idiocy. That is not biblical. It's never been biblical. You must use words. You must use words. When you're kind, they just think you're kind. You got to say why you did it. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. He's changed my life. You go through there and look at word, 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 speak, talk, preach, speak, talk, word, word. We must open our mouths. And then I want you to go through and look for something else. Go through and you'll see six times name, name, name of Jesus. They were offended at the name of Jesus. Said, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Don't teach in the name of Jesus. Name, name, name. It's the name of Jesus that's under heaven, the only hope for mankind. It's not there are lots of paths that lead to God. You choose one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We must talk to people about Jesus. But then I want you to see three references to boldness. I want you to mark them now. I'm going to take you there on these. Mark these on boldness. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and knew they were uneducated, untrained, they marveled. So that's verse 13, boldness. Look at verse 29. Lord, look and grant that your servants would have boldness to speak your word. And then look at verse 31. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the word of God with boldness. Look at me. If you're sitting here already uneasy saying, oh, I knew he was going to do something like this. I heard it was going to be something about courage and confidence and I think I could throw up. It's not that scary, folks. You say, but I'm not bold, Brad. How would I get bold? You go to your Bible and you look at verses that mention boldness and see what is around those. So we get a lot of help here. Verse 13 says they were bold and it's because of what? What's verse 13 show you? What have they been doing? Spending time with Jesus. You can do this. This is not rocket science, but you can have to get up earlier, set your alarm, not watch Good Morning America. Make time to spend time with Jesus and you'll be more bold. Look at verse 29. What's going on there? They simply pray for boldness. You're not bold? I'm not either. I'm the guy that was wrapped around his mother's leg saying, say hi, say hi. No. That was me. You say, you're kidding. No. I'm the guy that went all the way through my freshman year, the entire year without speaking. Yeah. Yeah. God did this. Not all of it. The bad part, he didn't. But any boldness, any enthusiasm, any passion, God did this as I've read his word and spent time with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They prayed for boldness. Verse 29, ask God. Say, God, make me bold. Give me boldness. And then look at verse 31. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, here's the nonsense we have today. There's all this. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll bark like a dog for hours and roll in the aisle and you'll laugh forever in Toronto. No, 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 no. When you look at the Bible and it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you make much of Jesus. You make much of Jesus, not nonsense. You make much of Jesus because the Holy Spirit wants to make much of Jesus. And when he's in you, you speak of Jesus and point people to Jesus. Pray for boldness. Spend time with Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I'll tell you what's got to motivate us. Not just raw duty or guilt. 
Let me show you thirdly from the scriptures, the mercy of God's son. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. The mercy of God's son. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And when you get there, look at me. I want to tell you something. 1 Timothy chapter 1. The mercy of God's son should motivate us to speak up, to stand, to sacrifice. When you lose sight of the mercy of God, you lose sight of lost people. And it's almost like they're invisible. We got so many Christians just living as if lost people around are invisible and they're dying and going to hell. And you have the answer. You have the hope. You have a message, but you've got to open your mouth and speak in the gym, in the marketplace, in the grocery store, in your neighborhood. I'm not saying you got to preach a sermon every time. I don't. A word, a word. Just run the flag up the flagpole. Just see if they bite. You know what I mean? I just try to drop little things, say little things. When you are still gripped by the mercy of God, for you, you still have compassion on lost people. And instead of hating them and being scared of them, you love them and you want to speak. You want to sacrifice. You want to go out of your way to find a way to help them with whatever's going on. Someone in your neighborhood or someone at work that's going through a trial. Look what Paul says. First Timothy one, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. Here it is. But I obtained, say it, mercy. Are you a Christian here today? Have you obtained mercy? Did God give you mercy? I obtained mercy. For I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. And don't say, yeah, to save those sinners. Hope he helps them. Look at the next phrase. To save sinners of whom I am, say it, chief. For this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And then what happens next? Whenever Paul traffics in rehearsing the gospel and the mercy of God and that he was a sinner and I mean a big fat sinner and that Jesus came to save sinners and saved him. Here's what happens next. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Get this. If you can get your head around the fact that you're the chief of sinners and never get over it and that God had mercy on you, you will have eyes for lost people and you will have a heart that's ready to praise God. Nobody has to tell you to throw up your hands and praise God. You just constantly are ready to do it. You, you never get over, oh my goodness, he found me. He saved me. He took out a heart of stone. He opened my blind eyes. He rescued me. He adopted me. He called me. He ran me down. I didn't find God. He found me. Oh my goodness. And he's looking for others and he loves others. And I get to be his ambassador as though God were pleading through me. You want mercy for lost people? Never get over the fact that you're a sinner saved by grace. I obtained mercy. 
I obtained mercy. Now, before I close, what I'd like to do with the minutes to remain, because here's what happens. I know this. A pastor or a teacher talks a certain way. And if you're not careful, people tend to formulate in their mind something. And he must mean this. And whatever this is, is something I don't do. Other people do this. So I want to remove the mystery and say, well, what do you mean courage to stand, confidence to speak up, heart to sacrifice? I want to read you examples of people right here in our church. I'm not doing this message and I'm not casting this vision because my heart is broken. I'm like, oh my goodness, nobody in our church cares about lost people. Nobody is courageous. Nobody speaks up. Nobody sacrifices. I love you. You do. We're doing this together. We're growing old together. We're reaching people for Christ together. So many of you do this. I just want to stir it up, keep it going, and get some others of you to jump in with us. So listen. What I'm about to do is read you some illustrations and get this. These aren't illustrations over the last 19 years that I've been here. You would have to stay here for days and miss the playoffs this afternoon. I could read emails for days of people in our church that are doing this. I'm about to read you just ones I've received since late August this year. And I tried to pick some that it's a single person, it's a single mom, it's an older person, it's a young mom with a two-year-old, it's someone my age, it's someone in the last season of life getting rid of their business and moving over into slowing down to show you everybody can do this. And God has called all of us to do this. There's not a certain kind of person that God wants to do this through. Here's what I'm talking about. It's a single young man in his 20s working his desk job 40 hours a week, but also thinking about lost people and the hope of the gospel. And so he's burdened for a homosexual co-worker. Instead of when he learns the guy's homosexual thinking, oh, pervert, I'll make sure I don't talk to him. I'll make sure I never interact with him. I'll make sure he knows how much... It Are you kidding me? He's burdened for him, befriends him, takes him out for a beer, listens to him, and not once, but multiple times, and keeps inviting him to our church. And as he says, but I would be rejected, I would be judged, I would be condemned, they'd run me out if they knew. And he's saying, no, we wouldn't, no, we wouldn't. We're all sinners, the same. He's pointing him to Christ, offering hope, and inviting him to our church. While he works a 40-hour week, secular job. That's what I'm talking about. Courage to stay in confidence, to speak up in a heart, to sack. It costs him time. He's got to carve out time on a weeknight or a weekend to go out with this guy instead of his friends. And it can be awkward sometimes. And you're nervous and you feel like you want to throw up. But you pray and say, God, help me. Use me to love him and speak truth. It's a single mom in our church with three teenagers. My heart goes out to single moms. They're like my hero of the faith, like Hebrews 11. I don't know how single moms, especially with teenagers, do it. Homework and their job and fixing things and the car repair. So she could easily say, I can't do anything else. Hope someone's reaching lost people for Christ. Now, while she raises three teenagers and her husband died, while she raises three teenagers and works a demanding high-pressure sales job and shuttles her kids to different sporting events, she loves Jesus and she loves lost people. And she just keeps talking about Jesus and inviting people to our church. And when the kids, her kids age on the same team, spend the night, she brings them on Sunday and I interact with them over here and she introduces me. And guess what happens? Some of those kids bring their parents who've never been to church, haven't heard the gospel and they hear the hope of the gospel. This is all I'm talking about, folks. But does it cost her? 
Yeah, when she's sitting on the bleachers, instead of just checking her emails and playing with her iPhone and downloading one more stupid game like Angry Birds, she's turning and she's interacting with other parents and she's talking to them and looking for ways to speak of Jesus and begin a spiritual conversation while she tries to raise three kids and work her job. That's what I'm talking about. It's a man in our church that's really good at what he does. And he's been in the same place of employment for over a decade now and he's good He doesn't steal his employer's time. He does what he's supposed to do on his job. But he also, you're going to hear this over and over, loves Jesus and loves people. And so his job is one that he sees regular people. He has regular customers, sometimes for years. And as they get to know you, what do people do? Sometimes they pour their whole heart out and spill their whole story in the middle at your desk at a business place of employment. He listens. He prays with them. He speaks the name of Jesus And he invites them to our church. And many times he's left on his lunch hour and driven over here to the resource center to get just the right booklet or pamphlet or something that deals with depression or an abortion or miscarriage or suicide or whatever it is they're talking about to try to help them. He doesn't say, oh, go meet with Pastor Brad. He, He is loving them, sharing with them, praying for them, pointing them to Christ and inviting people to our church. I meet people all the time. And say, how did you come? Oh, so-and-so. And I could name his name. Oh, he invited me. He invited me. He invited me. He invited me. It's a man in our church that's my age. He's an artist by trade. Loves art. And because of the economy, he, he lost work, could not find work, is working in a factory. And I was sitting across from him eating a meal in the last six, eight weeks. And I just said, how's it going? What's going on? I've been praying for your employment. He says to me, oh, I'm working. He names the company up in Cincinnati. I'm working in a factory. I'm an artist by trade. This is not what I was trained to do. I do hope I don't do this the rest of my life. But, and he says, but, I'm leading two Bible. He says, but, I think it's exactly where God wants me. I'm leading two Bible studies with guys at work. And he says this, I never thought I'd be doing that. He's very quiet, very quiet. God is using him Right out there in the marketplace. It's a man in our church that's 15 years older than me that's already built a successful business for 40 years. He ran a business. He has a good reputation on both sides of the river. But as he's run this business, he loves Jesus and he loves people. And he has a heart for people. And so now he's, he's passing this business on to his son. He's still there, but he can focus more on what he really has a heart for. And so he has a heart, no surprise, for business guys who are successful, but now they're in the season of life he is, and they're filled with regrets because so many of them, as they reached the ladder of success, they lost their marriage and their kids and their families, and they're shattered. And now they're saying, what now? Is this all that this is about? And he leads a Bible study, and he said half the guys are not Christians. He's been doing it for over two years, pointing them to Christ, giving them hope. He's never been to Bible college. He's never been to seminary. He has no degree. But I tell you what, he's been in this church for 19 years. He's been through the fall counseling and discipleship training conference where we try to help you know, how would you use your Bible to help a real person with a real problem? He's been plugged into a small group for 19 years, up with close range with other believers, changing and growing and being sharpened. When I wave books around and say, this is a great book, he, he's a reader. He loves movies. He loves He's got a big screen. He's got surround sound, but he doesn't just watch movies day and night. He'll get the book I wave around. He'll read it. He keeps changing and growing and God is using him. 
to reach people for Christ and to offer hope and to point people to the hope that we've experienced and the mercy we've experienced. It's a single woman later in her life, already raised three boys on her own, already went through the heartache of a shattered marriage. And she works in her home, but she ran for office for her city that she lives in because it was a mess, a colossal mess with a colossal financial mess, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. She wins, she gets on council. Not only does she help them with their finances because she's good with that, she keeps talking about Jesus. She emails me relentlessly like, what should I say about this? What's a good verse on this? Here's what we're going through. And she talks to them about biblical principles for conflict resolution and humility and thinking less of yourself. And, and I, this was just by accident. Didn't even mean to, but it was such a joy. My daughter, who's 15 at Dixie High School, is an advanced government, whatever, AP, and it was required to go to a city meeting. I go to that city meeting. I'm sitting there in the back row. There's the woman. I thought, she's my church, my church. Because I didn't know it was the last night that this mayor was going to be in office. And as he went out, he took 30 minutes to praise people who've made such a difference. And he talks about this woman and the difference she's made in leading them not only not to be in debt, but they have $200,000 in the bank. And she's also talked to them about Jesus and biblical principles and how do you do what the Bible says. I wrote her an email asking permission to talk about this, which, by the way, I asked everyone for permission before I did this. And she writes me back and says, I just had an hour conversation with the new mayor and let him know how I do things and how I'd like the city meetings and decisions to go. He seemed to be okay with it. I told him if you operate according to God's word, it will work out for the best. He doesn't read his Bible. So I started quoting things from the Bible about how to handle a dispute, how to encourage others, how to handle conflict, how to think less of yourself. Then she says this, Brad, when you preach about people reading their Bibles, I want to get up and shout to everyone. I want to say, get up early and read your Bible and sit with Jesus early so you can get through the day. This woman wasn't raised in a Christian home. She wasn't homeschooled. She didn't go to Calvary Christian. She was saved late in life. But she reads her Bible, not to check it off, but to meet with Jesus. And then when she heads out in the marketplace, she speaks of Jesus. She's bold. She cannot but speak the things she's heard and seen. She says, I don't know how people get through a day without it. It helps me reflect through the rest of the day on what you read and prayed about. And it gets you past the cursing client because you can't close the loan in three minutes of application. Or your own kid who's crushing your heart. I love my time with Jesus. I don't mean this in a disparaging way, uneducated, untrained, right? She hadn't been through some high level apologetics and theology and she reads her Bible. She loves Jesus. She speaks. She makes a difference. She makes an impact. It's a woman in my small group that's close to my season of life. She's got her hands full raising four kids of her own, but she loves Jesus and she loves saying people. And so as long as I've known her, it's over a decade now. Oh, she's having a Bible study in her neighborhood all the time. And she just brings all these people together. And they're from all over the map spiritually. You can imagine. It's just chaos. And then she emails me saying, what do I do? What do I say? What's a good book? What should I? And she borrows books from me. And she picked. She's never said, come lead this thing. I can't do this. She just says, what should I do next? What book should I, how do I answer this question? And God uses her. And she befriends people in the sporting teams with her kids and in the school. And she takes people out for lunch. She's in our small group and she said, I'm exhausted. And she looked at our group and said, this isn't hard. It's about to get hard. 
She said, speaking of Jesus in heart, she said, we had three high school girls over the other night and I had the book that you said to buy about how to read the Bible book by book. It was laying on the coffee table and one girl said, oh, that looks interesting. She said, another girl said, I'm already going to hell. And, and she said, I said, well, we ought to do a Bible study. And she said, all three of them said, that would be great. Folks, this is how you do these things. There will be people who will mock. There will be people offended. There will be people indignant. And however, there will be some who will believe. But you got to carve out the time in your life to not be so absorbed with you, so consumed with you and your kids and your grandkids and your job and your remodeling the den and your games and your TV shows and your whatever. Don't live like people are invisible. Mercy, compassion, and then speak and God would be pleased to use you. It's a young mom in our church who has a two-year-old, hands full, She wrote me and said, oh my goodness, this neighbor that keeps pouring her heart out to me, she's going through a terrible divorce, ugly marriage. I just looked at her and said, would you want to do a Bible study? And she said, yes. And she's like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. But she drove to the resource center. This is why we have this. We're not trying to compete with with Family Christian Bookstore. We want to mainly have things in there that are pithy, short, biblical, that would help you help people with real problems. She drives over, she picks out a booklet called The Foundations of the Christian Life, an eight-week study on what it means to be a Christian, and she starts meeting with her neighbor. She, she doesn't call me, she. It's a medical professional in our church that works in the hospitals. And he writes me and says, I'm so scared, but there's two guys in the neighborhood that are always asking me questions as we stand in the street. And so I just finally turned to them and said, would you want to do a Bible study? They said, yes. And some of these, when I wrote them to get permission, I was a little hesitant and thought, well, maybe by now it's not even happening. And they're just going to say, oh, please don't tell it. It never happened. No, everybody wrote me back. He wrote me back and said, oh my goodness, Pastor Brad, I've been so scared. I'm terrible at this. I'm not bold. This is all God. We are going through Galatians together and we're still meeting. And it's the most exciting thing I've ever done. God using real people like you. God would use you. I don't care what season of life you're in. God would be pleased to use you. This is how God does this stuff. I could go on and give so many more illustrations. But I want to close with this one. I waved around when I came back from the summer. Some of my favorite books. And one of them was Fearless. It's not necessarily a book about gospel and Jesus and church. But it's about a Navy Team Seal 6 guy named Adam Brown. Who loved Jesus and also loved this country until he was shot and killed March 17, 2010. Great, inspiring book just on courage. And it's titled Fearless. The guy in our church bought it. He's been a pilot most of his life. But that never completely defined him. He was always sharing the gospel. He was always going into the jails and prisons and sharing the gospel. Because he loves Jesus and he loves people. He read it. And he was so fired up. And he wrote me and he said this. Because I was so encouraged. What he's about to say is what I always meant to do here. And we're not perfect, but I think it's happening. It's happening. He wrote me and he said, Brad, Grace Fellowship is like a forward operating base that they talk about in Fearless. We get fed and equipped here and then we go out in hostile territory to advance God's kingdom. Then we come back on Sunday again where we're patched up, fed up, pumped up and sent out. Thank you for feeding us, equipping us and praying for us. See, folks, I tell you this. The reason I pray for you by name and I take an hour, hour and a half each morning to pray for you, is because I've asked you to do this. If I'm going to ask you to go out and do this, instead of calling me and telling me to meet with all your friends, I ought to pray for you. I pray for you. But are you doing anything? 
I'm not praying for you as you add a den to the house. I'm not praying for you as you go on vacations. I'm not praying for that. I pray for you to be doing the stuff we're talking about. Are you? He says, thank you for equipping us, praying for us, sending us out. And then he says this, not fearless yet, but by God's grace, working to get there. What about you? Are you willing to take risks? Do you have the courage to stand, the confidence to speak up and a heart to sacrifice? If you don't, it's not rocket science. I hope you know now, what do you need to do? I need to start reading my Bible and spend time with Jesus and I'll get more boldness. I need to ask for it, just pray for it. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, we have what people need and it's a matter of life and death. People are dying and going to hell and we have a message of mercy. He has saved us and he wants to speak through us. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you've done in us. Lord, thank you for the good news that we have and thank you that you're pleased to work through weakness. We don't have to be on top of our game. We don't have to have Bible college training. We don't have to have theological training. We don't have to say, I'm not sick to my stomach. I have no fears. You delight to work through weakness. Oh God, make us people who have been with Jesus so that we'll have eyes to see lost people and be filled with mercy and courage to speak the name of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.